Oh, snap, snap, snap. The world is finally waking up to the crap that's baked into and sprayed on kibble dog food. No longer can commercial pet food manufacturers fool us with pretty pictures and false promises. This is the raw dog food truth. The view and opinions expressed on this podcast are not intended to replace medical advice. Before starting any raw diet, do research, ask lots of questions, and consult your vet. Well, hello, Raw Feeders. I'm Dee Dee Mercer Moffat, the CEO of Raw Dog Food and Company, where your pet's health is our business and friends don't let friends feed kibble. Well, it's hump day. That means it's Dr. Judy JC Day, and today we get to see her beautiful face. How are you out there in Tennessee? Great. And it's so and it's so good to see you too. Like this is really fun to see like faces, especially right. since we're states away and I can't really see you in person now. I know. I know. But uh, one of these days we're going to get out to Tennessee. How's the humidity out there? It's that bad. I mean, it, there are days, there are days where it just feels like you're in a soup, but it's not every day. Like those super humid days aren't all that often. And it's more humid than Colorado, but most of the days is probably like 50%. So it does seem, it doesn't seem that bad. I mean, it's hot, but it's July. It's hot everywhere. You know, oh, maybe know. Up where you are, it's not that hot, but. Well, we've up. been in we've been in Cheyenne at Frontier uh, Frontier Day, Cheyenne Frontier Day. Oh yeah, yeah. Going to the rodeo and everything, and I gotta tell everybody if you want to feel proud of your country, if you want to feel like grounded that you're around, you know, people that will fight for your freedom, go to a rodeo. Oh my gosh, I love it. I yeah. love being around the rodeo folks and the animals, horses, the bulls the calves, all of them. It's just such a great experience. So we have season tickets. We go to that and uh, we'll be going back this weekend. So very Ooh, fun. 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 Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's, 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 it's real people, you know, that's what I think it is. It's, it's, you know, kind of true grit. These are real people out there, you know, working with the animals and stuff. And, and it's, a di- it's, it's a different way of life. I, I noticed that just here being outside more working with, you know, working on the land, raising chickens, you know, the chickens are growing so fast. It's amazing. Like every day they're, they're bigger. I can, I, I understand why people are so obsessed with their human babies because like every little thing they do, you know, like, <laughs> so yeah, with the chickens, oh my God, they scratched, they flapped their wings. So exciting. <laughs> do they fight each other? Are they like kids where they fight? You know, I haven't seen them really aggressively fight. They'll sometimes peck at each other. And then I always get nervous because I've heard that they'll like peck at some that are sick or something. I mean, chickens will cannibalize each other if they're stressed. They actually say this is one of the big, really bad things about. So in factory farming, factory raised chickens, so you never want to buy chickens that are factory farmed. They put like eight of them or something in, in like little bitty cages, like one foot by two foot. They're literally just crammed in. They can't even turn around because they're trying to get as many chickens into one space as possible. And those birds will get stressed enough. They'll actually peck each other to death. Oh my gosh. And yeah. It's, it's, it's horrific. So if they're happy and there's, and there's, it is a pecking order, you know, these terms that, you know, they come from somewhere and chickens, there is a, a hierarchy in the, 
in the flock of chickens, but if they're out moving around, like we're going to be moving them out in the pasture, hopefully this week, my husband's been working very hard on finishing up our little chicken tractor so they can be outside and shoot, but be safe from predators and everything. And then they have their laying boxes in there. So when they get old enough to lay eggs, they'll be all uh, good to go. So we're going to get them out in pasture. So I mean, they're getting a little crowded in the brooder now, but once they get out there, they'll have room. And then we have this poultry netting, which is basically it's, it's an electric electrified poultry netting that we could expand, give them a little more area. They could get out and move around and that'll help um, keep them in and keep predators out. It just won't protect them from the aerial predators, the hawks and stuff. So yeah, I was going to ask you, what are your main predators where you are? You know, I I've heard there's another lady just a couple miles from here that we met at the farmer's market that raises chickens. And she said, she's seen Bobcat. Now I haven't seen Bobcat, but I think they're pretty elusive unless they're, you know, coming for dinner. Um, so I think Bobcat, but we don't have like, I don't think we have bear here. I think there's bear in like Eastern Tennessee in the mountains, but I don't really think we do, or like bigger cats, uh, raccoons would probably be a big one. Cause they're really crafty and they'll dig. Um, we have possum. I think possums might go for the, might go for the chickens. Um, and they say rats, well, they say rats will get the little chicks once they get bigger. I don't think the rats are, rats are a problem. So I really haven't seen too many around but that's what I kind of hear is out there so and that's what other people have have said that they've had the most problems with I think raccoons might be one of our our biggest issue because they're they're very crafty they're they're very smart um so I have a question for you so what are people out there in Tennessee what's their view on rabies and you know a lot of people that are out um in those areas sometimes they're like well there's you know, rabid raccoons and there's rabid this and there's rabid that. I don't know that I've ever seen anything rabid in my life, but um, certainly people have that narrative in their head. What's the thought pattern at where you are about rabies? I I think, I think people are from, from what I haven't talked to a lot of people, but most people are just like, yep, we take our pets into the, into the vet to get all their shots. I think they're, you know, they follow the rules, I think, because it's required, you know, every state there's, there's rabies requirements. So I think most people are probably taking their pets in and getting the, getting the shots, unfortunately. Right. Right. That's a hard one. I don't know if we're ever going to break that narrative. Um, And as you and I have talked about it many, many times, it's just getting uh, tougher and tougher and stronger and stronger. Yeah. It, it, it really is. It really is. And, and I, I don't think it's going to end anytime soon. I really don't. I, I don't, I don't know what to what, really, what to do about it. You know, people, the vet, the vets are just so indoctrinated into this narrative and they're indoctrinating their clients into this narrative. So um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's going to get tougher though. I think it's going to get tougher. People got to get good at treating their pets at home, unless it's a true emergency, just keep them out of the vet clinics. So I had, uh, a new customer come on. This dog has diabetes. I think we talked about it. Uh, did we, did we, did I ask you this question on the last podcast that about their vet saying, don't feed a raw diet because I've seen a dog go raw and he went septic eating a raw diet. Hmm. I don't remember you saying that, but 
guess it doesn't surprise me that the vet would have said that. But but how do yeah. you how, how would a dog go septic yeah. eating a raw diet? Do you see any way that that could happen? No, no. Sepsis is it's a blood infection. Basically, it's a bacterial infection in the blood that goes throughout the body. And because the dog's digestive tract, even if the dog were to eat some contaminated or spoiled food, that acid in their stomach should take care of that bacteria. And it, in order for the dog to get septic from the food, the bacteria in the food has to be absorbed into the bloodstream. And if that acid in the stomach is going to take care of the bacteria, then that's just not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, what, I guess my question to that vet would have been, well, can you talk to me a little bit more about that? Tell me about that diet. Tell me what bacteria it was, what level it needed to be in order to make the dog go septic. And even before that, what is the dog's um, health, you know, um, level? What what was the dog like? There's so many, I mean, you could throw that out there. Oh, my dog, you know, I've seen dogs go septic. And you'd be like, oh my gosh. But when you really dig into it and you ask those questions, you know. Or just just even like explain the mechanism. How does that happen? So my dog eats this food and it goes down into my stomach or into their stomach. So help me understand how does that create sepsis? And I would ask them to even define sepsis because I see this all the time. That's to throw around words that sounds kind of scary, but maybe like the average person doesn't know exactly what they are, but they're kind of afraid to ask, ask those questions, explain what sepsis is and, and, and ask them to explain the mechanism for how that food in the dog's stomach created sepsis in the body, because they like to throw these, these terms around that and, and scare people. And because people don't know medicine and they, and they're trusting their vet, they get scared and they're like, okay, well, I guess I better not feed raw because it can make my dog septic. And they don't even know what that means. Well, how is, so you and I have listened to a lot of customers who have this concept that you eat some food and it kind of gets in your bloodstream, you know, gets in your, gets out of the, the tract. And you've said that many times, sort of like the bone or anything like that. It has a tract it's in. So it's, in the esophagus, it goes into the, you know, the digestive tract, those um, in, intestines and stuff like that. How, th- explain that. How does that work? You know, how does the body digest food? I guess that's really what people need to understand. Right, right. Well, again, it starts in the stomach. So, you know, dogs, you know, people get get worried a lot. Oh, my dog eats too fast. I got to slow him down. I got all these little like mats and stuff to slow dogs eating. Dogs are meant to eat fast. Their carnivore digestive system, it's not like us, like we we um, really should chew. Um, our digestion starts in our mouth by starting to, you know, chew up the food, break it down, mixes with the salivary enzymes. Dogs, the saliva is mainly a lubricant just to get the food in the stomach because in the wild, they got to eat fast because the grizzly bears come in to help try to, you know, eat some of the elk or whatever they're eating. They've got to eat you know, fast. And so the digestion then starts in the stomach, but then there's this hydrochloric acid in there. That's, it's very acidic, starts to break down the food. And then it moves into the um, small intestine where then the pancreas uh, secretes more digestive enzymes. The liver kicks in or the, the gallbladder contracts, actually kicks some bile in there to help break down fat. So basically you've got all these enzymes that are breaking down the food. And then 
where I think it, this is where things like um, leaky gut can play a role because the next step then is these food molecules after they're broken down, they need to be absorbed into the bloodstream and you know, the body, there's things that shouldn't be absorbed. So if the lining of the gut is healthy, it's going to absorb the things that are healthy. The healthy nutrients might kick out some toxins. That's why sometimes you get diarrhea, eat something, eat, it, food, food po poisoning, you know, go to a restaurant, eat something that's not so good. You have the you know, diarrhea for a couple of days. Well, well, what is that? Your body's recognizing, hey, there's something here. It doesn't belong here. Let's get it out. Doesn't absorb it. If we have healthy gut lining. Now, if we don't, then you can, uh, you know, some of the, you hear about people dying from the E. coli or some of these, you know, food contaminants. It's because these bacteria do get into the bloodstream because it's, it's not a healthy uh, gut barrier. This is why we talk so much about gut health, because if the gut lining is healthy, it'll absorb the good stuff kick out the bad stuff. Sometimes if something hits the stomach that isn't good, we'll just vomit it right back up, right? It's a great thing to uh, to do that. I used to work on horses more early in my career. Horses can't throw up. They get something in their stomach, doesn't belong there. It could be a real problem because it's got to go out, you know, the other end. So that's a really beneficial thing. And I think sometimes we have to realize that these symptoms are the body helping it stay healthy by kicking these things out that we may not want there. Yeah. It's really amazing how many uh, pet parents, if a dog throws up one time, one time they're like, my dog's sick. Instead, just what you said, no, your dog is doing what it does, what it needs to do to stay healthy. Now, if the dog is throwing up constantly all day, you know, can't hold down water. That's one thing, but just throwing up one time, Right. It just, right. Uh, and, and so people will say, well, I think I got a bad batch. And I'm like, well, let's talk about it. You know, if I have an hour, <laughs> because it's always an hour. And, and define what's bad, like, like bad, like bad behavior or like, what is it? What is bad? That's another one of those words that really means nothing. Like define, define bad. Oh, your dog's eating this food. And your dog is showing these symptoms. So it has to be because of the food. I mean, that's the association that's usually made, Always. but doesn't mean that it's the food. Always. And, you know, uh, again, people make these um, correlations that don't really work until you start asking the questions. Okay. Mm -hmm. So here's one. Um, and I think this, this particular customer is working with you. So this is great. But um, they contacted us and they said, we need to understand the calories. We need to understand the calories in um, this certain blend. And um, I said, okay, what, what is the, why we, uh, do you want to know what fat? Do you want to know what protein? Do you want to know about carbs? Right. And the, the answer was, well, the more fat, the better, because this is a cancer uh, patient. And I said, are you working with a cancer, a holistic vet? Um, and, and they said, yes, and it was you. So I already know how you talk and think and, you know, not everything that you think, but I know kind of how you uh, work. And Good, so, wait, so when you can figure out what's going on up in my head, would you let me know? <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but I said, I said, well, why this is before, actually, I knew it was you. I said, but why would a cancer vet be limiting your calories? Right. Why would a cancer vet be limiting your calories? 
And and the and the and the answer was, well, the cancer vet's not really limiting my calories. I just assumed that because my dog was eating, you know, this many calories, that they would stay on this many calories. And and I said, well, um, I I don't know that that's the fact. You probably you know, are looking more at fat, but I would clear that with Dr. Jacek. So I was just going to ask you that question. If you have a cancer patient and they're actually on a raw diet, are you worried about calories? Are we more worried about the fat ratio to protein? Yeah, I, I really steer people away from focusing on the calories because, and we've talked about this before, calorie is not a calorie. That's what, you know, like I remember years ago hearing when you're, you know, you're watching your weight and everything and they, and they say, well, you, you, um, you just count calories, right? It doesn't matter what you eat. You just eat X number of calories and the calories you can eat, you know, 2000 calories of sugar and just don't go over that. And, you know, you'll maintain your weight, but it, that's not true because calories have different metabolic value in the body, depending on whether they're, you know, a carbohydrate or fat or protein. So, I steer people away from that. And that's, you know, I understand where people get confused because there's a lot of people out there in veterinary nutrition that they make these recipes and then they say, okay, it's X number of calories. And I tend to steer away from exact recipes because I think people get too locked into that idea that every little thing and and most recipes that I see have a lot of synthetics in them anyway. And then they provide a certain amount of calories. And this is how many calories I try to steer people away from that mentality. I think it's a big step though, because a lot of other people in the industry talk calories, but I talk percentages. So I go with like, okay, we start within the 80, 10, 10 blend. And then if you know your dog does well on that, that's a good basic place. And that we could add in some extra organs and let's add in some extra body parts. And then the fat's kind of on down the road because you know people get hung up on this ketogenic. Well, I want to feed like, and I've and I've had clients ask me. They're already feeding a raw diet, and they're like, "Well, we think about this ketogenic diet. Well, if you're eliminated all those processed carbs, you're 95 percent of the way there, right? And then if the dog's doing great, so we get. I think it's probably more important that we get rid of the processed carbs which the raw automatically does. We're doing a healthy rotation. They're getting a variety of proteins. They're getting all these great body parts. That Those are the most important pieces of nutrition. And then if we want to bump up the fat a little bit, we can, and we see how the dog does. It just starts slow and work up. I mean, I think there's a lot of benefits to well-sourced saturated animal fat, high in vitamin D and A and K2 and all the fat soluble vitamins. That's where they live is in the fat. So there's a lot of nutritional value there too. But to me, that's kind of way on down the road after we have the pet on a proper um, rotation so that they're getting all the other nutrients. See, I told you, I knew what was in your head. (laughs) You did. You just (laughs) made me say it. I was like, yeah, I think maybe you want to double check back there with uh, Dr. Jasek because that doesn't sound like anything she would ever say. Yeah. Uh, well, so it, people have ideas that are a little hard to, you know, uh, no. let go of. Like, no. like in that case, well, she said this, but I think she probably meant this because right. this is what I want. This is what I want it to mean because this is what I want to do. So she probably that's what she meant. I think that's what goes on in people's heads sometimes. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's funny. Okay, so this this was a question that came in and I actually said, "Listen, 
um, your best bet is to go deal, uh, go take this question with uh, to Dr. JC. So this particular dog is on a raw diet. Now she said it was a big transition for her dog. I often wonder when people say it's a big transition, um, if if that just means my dog's gut health was not good, right? <laughs> if if they've been feeding lots of kibble, lots of processed foods, um, and it was a tough transition, you know, those digestive enzymes aren't there. They're not used to eating real food. It's sort of like, hey, I've been eating cookies and donuts for my life, and now I'm going to eat real food. Your body's probably going to be like, what the heck? That's um, right. Okay, but that doesn't mean that the that the raw diet is not good for your dog or that a whole food diet for yourself is not good for you, right? So if you have a tough transition, don't go running back to the donuts. That's not going to be um, what you right. want to do. And, and oftentimes I see, you know, people say, well, you know, I paid 80 bucks for this bag of kibble. I don't want to just throw it away. So they keep feeding it. But if the kibble's part of the problem, which oftentimes it is, by the majority of the time it is, then, and you don't stop feeding the kibble and you're feeding it along with the raw, that's, that can be really hard on the body because it's, these things are digested two different ways and you're not eliminating the problem to begin with. So you have to get completely, completely off the kibble. Some people tell me that they're having a hard time transitioning and they're not stopping the kibble then, and we have to do, so you have to stop the kibble. You just have to get off of those highly processed toxic diets or you're not likely to have good success. Right. Now, the same um sweet parent said that they're um that they're worried about the raw diet because he now has a stinky butt. He has a mm. stinky butt. He has a stinky butt uh and she's worried that his mm. anal glands may be clogged and they may be. And she says I'm just not sure why that would be happening on the raw diet or why he may uh, be having a yeast issue. Now, listen, we don't know if he's having a yeast issue. A lot of people think that their dogs are having a yeast issue when they're not. Um, but she was doing the um, the yeast guard. Um, she decided to stop doing that. She was doing the easy peasy. I didn't know that this dog had some type of bladder issue, but there's a lot of different things going on. Now, I will say this about the Adored Beast products. I mean, they're pretty safe, right? They're not pharmaceuticals. We don't have issues. But yeah, we would always say, okay, well, let's stop those and see if things get better. But um, one of the questions was, she said, do you know of a good natural vet? near Lakewood. Well, she left and went to Tennessee, <laughs> but you can tell. You but we can, have Zoom. That's what I said. <laughs> you can still Zoom with her uh, because she said um, she doesn't want a vet that will scold her on the dangers of the raw diet. Uh, and so I said, well, you got to go see Dr. Jasek. And so I sent her to your website, but what causes these stinky butts? These, uh, I mean, obviously it's the clogged anal glands. Different things cause the anal glands to get clogged. Um, what would you say for our stinky butt client? Well, first of all, we we need to make sure we know for sure what's stinking. So yes, oftentimes it is the anal glands. And I think when when dog butts persistently smell like anal glands, it's because they're so full, they're not getting expressed naturally on their own. And I think they get so full sometimes that just some of it starts to leak out. 
they, they should be completely expressed when they poop. And so the good firm stool and usually raw diets help with that a lot if they're getting enough bone. I do sometimes see people that pick diets or try to do their own diets that don't have the bone content and then you don't have enough, enough bulk. And then um, some people will try to add in more vegetable fiber and things like that. But it's that bone that can really bulk up the stool, get it good and firm. Because what needs to happen when they're pooping, all those muscles around their sphincter need to contract. <laughs> and, and, and they contract against that hard stool when the dog's pooping. And that's what pushes them out. Anal glands are like, they look like little, they're like little water balloons with the opening pointed out. And so as the stool comes out and all those muscles contract, it just should just squeeze them out. That's what's supposed to happen. If a dog has a history of soft stools, history of diarrhea, or even dogs that have been fed kibble, they have big, huge stools, but they're not always really good and firm to get those out. Um, sometimes they can get infected. So getting them checked, I mean, this is something you probably want to get somebody to, you know, look at your dog's butt and make sure there's not something else um, going on there. I mean, you could have like a skin infection or something like that. You mentioned the yeast, but that it would probably be less likely than the, um, than the anal gland issue. Uh, I've seen some dogs that I think that just, just don't seem to be able to get their anal glands expressed naturally. And I think that can be positioned like the anal glands are like just a little different orientation, maybe pointing down a little bit, but they just don't get expressed. So then they need um, a little help. They need a little more regular um, expression, getting somebody to actually express the anal glands. But for the most part, if we correct the diet and, you know, good muscle tone, like, you know, dogs get, you know, getting out, exercising, making sure the, the muscles around the back end are good and toned. I mean, that takes care of, you know, by far the majority of issues. Well, and, and a lot of pet parents, they're really um, afraid of the poops being too hard. This is the thing they they mm -hmm. are, my dog's poops are too hard and uh, they, they seem constipated. Well, are they constipated or do they just not have that much to eliminate? Are the poops really too hard or are you just not used to seeing raw fed poops? Right. Right. So, so these are some of the questions uh, that we would ask. I would say if it comes out crumbly and I do ask the pet parents, just send me a, a pic of the poop. Mm -hmm. Send me a pic of the poop, <laughs> uh, but but send it right after they defecate, not when it's dry. Right. Because right. it does, it dries, it does dry up and crumble. And what I ask people, because I think there is a, a kind of misunderstanding about what true constipation, true constipation is they can't get the poop out. So if they're passing the poop fine and they're not straining and it's just dry, I tell people that's normal. I mean, not like, like you said, dry on the way out, but firm and kind of dry. And then after it sits out in the hot sun for an hour, it's just going to crumble into nothing. Like that's normal uh, constipation is where they can't get it out. Like they're straining, they're in the position, trying and trying and trying, and they keep trying and they just can't get anything out. That is true, true constipation. And then we need to look at, okay, do we need to add in, you know, some extra organ or tripe or something like that to loosen up or, or you know, are we feeding a, a blend that's a little higher in bone and maybe that particular individual needs a little, little less bone 
in the diet. But that's kind of how I make that differentiation. Because I hear that all the time. Oh, my dog's constipated. I'm okay, well, tell me what your dog's doing. And they're not having any trouble pooping. People just aren't used to seeing these small crumbly poops. I mean, you know, I've done lots and lots of hiking. That's what coyote poop looks like. You know, right. just little, maybe there's some fur in it, depending on what they ate last, but that's what you see on the trail. This just little dried nuggets. That's because that's all the waste there is. Well, and like Asta, so Asta has uh, the issue with the hips, right? Or the knee, I should say. So it's causing her, you know, in that uh, sitting, squatting position, it's a little difficult for her. Mm-hmm. So it may take her a little bit longer and she will walk as she poops, but those are coming out. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and so you have to sort of balance that you guys with, do you want those anal glands to be clogged or do you want those nice firm poops to come out? Um, now I have heard people say, well, my dog yelps when he's pooping. Um, little dogs are the ones that I've heard this about. And uh, what is that? about you yep. know that those those always puzzle me because i've had those cases too and i've had dogs that like we can never get them to stop like it, no matter what we try um but i think that more likely has something to do with structure i mean we want to of course make sure that there's no blockage there's not a tumor there or no stricture or something that is affecting their ability to uh, to poop um, past injuries anything like that so we rule out all of that stuff and if the stools are you know normal consistency and everything then I always wonder is it a musculoskeletal thing is is there back pain is there something about the position that's that's painful and try to make sure like you mentioned Asta's knee I mean, she doesn't yelp, but she's doing that behavior because it probably hurts a little bit to be in that position. So, um, and some dogs, you know, the little dogs, having had little dogs for many years, they're a little bit melodramatic. You know, they're a lot melodramatic, actually. <laughs> so any little thing, you know, is 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 a crisis, right? And uh, so I, I think we need to look at, you know, does the dog have luxating patellas or something where it's it's painful for them to be in that position that they need to be in to poop? So do you think it's the bone in the blend coming out the other end that's causing the dog to yelp? Well, I think if that were the case, then we'd have all of our raw feeders would be yelping every time they poop, they poop and they're not. <laughs> I hear that all the time, uh, yeah. which I'm going to write down do as, as another uh, as another workshop that we should do. <laughs> the poop, uh, the poop problem, right? Uh, the, what, what is it? What is healthy poop? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just like what you said. Is it the back? Is it the knee? Is it, you know, something going on inside? Is it this? Is it, why is it the food? Okay. Yeah, the food just gets blamed. It's, it's just the food. Cause they want to go. Her- you picked, go really you picked a really fun industry. You picked a really fun industry. You too. You too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everything you get blamed for everything. All right. So I want to talk to you about seizures. So my my neighbor down the street has a Weimariner. I think I've mentioned uh, this mm-hmm. dog on the show before. Um, young Weimariner, uh, only about six years old, a couple of years ago went in uh, because this dog was having seizures so bad and had brain surgery, right? And then was put on phen- phenobarbital. Well, this dog just had to be 
put down a couple of days ago mm. because the seizures came back so uh, fervently, right? So, so horribly uh, that they did have to put the dog down. So the question is, what is it? And we don't really know. It's called idiopathic. We don't really know what causes seizures in dogs, but we do know things that contribute to seizures, Dr. Jasek. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, some contributing factors for seizures, because if they continue and continue, the dog probably does have to be put down. What would you say are some of the biggest contributors to seizures that a pet parent can control? Yeah, well, uh, diet for sure. You know, let's let's pick on kibble. You know, everybody likes to pick on raw. We're gonna we're gonna pick on kibble. Um, so gluten in the diet. Gluten is in a lot of different grains, um, wheat and barley and oats, unless they're specifically gluten free, can have some gluten in them. Gluten can cross the blood brain barrier and can be, or the yeah, the blood brain barrier and can uh, be inflammatory to the brain. I've actually seen some dogs stop seizuring just by stopping the kibble. Doesn't happen in all cases, but I've definitely seen it help. And we know that all those carbs are at the very least inflammatory. So we want to get off of any inflammatory uh, ingredients in, in the diet. But I think probably the biggest thing is toxicity and toxicity would include vaccines. I've seen many dogs uh, start seizuring after especially rabies vaccine because the rabies vaccine tends to have neurologic effects on the body. Um, flea and tick medications. I just saw, um, Tess actually sent me a, a study she had found that like they did a study like two thirds of, of the pets that get the flea and tick medications. So these are your Brevecto, Advantix, and Perico, all of those. Um, two thirds have adverse reactions and they were serious and seizures was one of them. Um, so seizures, disorientation, um, loss of balance, things like that afterwards. I, I was talking to a, a client last week that had a kitty, old, old cat, and they put this stuff on them. I'm thinking, why are you putting this on your cat? Well, then, yeah, the cat was, you know, balance, imbalanced, couldn't walk right for, but just for, for a day. So I think it was probably that medication, but those are neurotoxins. So if we're giving them uh, neurotoxins, then we can expect, you know, signs of toxicity, you know, anywhere in the central nervous system and including seizures and environmental chemicals, you know, especially pesticides, all these chemicals out there that kill insects, um, you know, they're, they're going to be very, very toxic for the dogs and can definitely uh, contribute to that. So I think those are all things that need to be corrected. I think 5G, I think the EMF, I think can really play a big role because of its frequency effects on the central nervous system. And I will tell you in the last few months, I've been seeing some tough seizure cases. I mean, like dogs that are already on several anticonvulsants and the seizure, seizures are still hard to control. Used to be like when I'd start to work with a dog that was on like three or four anticonvulsants, because that's oftentimes what happens when they've been seeing a neurologist, they just start them on all these drugs and they'll control the seizures, but then the dogs are zombies. So then we work to get them off the drugs. These dogs are coming in and they're still seizing. And like, what the heck is going on? 
And so that that's what makes me think that we've got, you know, environmental toxins, but that's makes it even more important to control the things that we can control. So fresh food diet, get them off the kibble, really minimize those vaccines. I think vaccines are just creating more and more disease in our pets all the time. And you just, you just have to back off. I know there's rules. I know that's hard, but you know, it's your pet's health. So you need to, you need to make that choice. If you're going to choose to do a rabies shot, and I don't believe there are any have tos, you, you, you're making that choice to give your pet the rabies shot so that, you know, you can follow the rules and take them wherever ever you want and whatever, take them on airplane and travel or whatever you want to do with your pet, but you are putting their health at risk. And, you know, that's, that's your choice, but I, I, have a real issue when people say, you know, that this vaccine makes their pet sick. Well, I had to do it. Well, you didn't. It, it really is still, it really is still a choice. It might be a little uncomfortable and you might have to do some pushback and you might have to create a little, you know, discord at your veterinary veterinarian's office, but do you want your pet healthy or not? I mean, that's, that's what really what we're working towards here. So when you have talked to these uh, patients, who um, have seizures, what have their traditional veterinarians prescribed for food? What have they said about food for these dogs? Well, I don't think to my knowledge, there's like a prescription diet for seizures yet. So they probably just tell them to keep feeding whatever they're feeding and that diet doesn't matter. That's just a sphincter bunk. I mean, that's just crazy because as you said, wheat, barley, oats, highest glutamate content, corn and rice have a little bit lower content, mm-hmm. uh, but obviously should be kept to a minimum. And rice uh, has arson, arsenic too, so. Yeah, yeah. There, so who uh, who was talking to me the other day and they said, well, my dog was having a, a tough time eating. So I just went ahead and, you know, put rice in the raw food. And I was like, oh, gosh, don't put <laughs> rice in there. Rice is not something that you need to put in there. Um, But also they talk about dairy products from cow's milk. Um, It has 20% glutamate by comparison. And then you've got your beans, your peanuts. Um, Here's another thing, though, that they say, Dr. Jasek, I was reading in this article, that even in in, um, rabbit, turkey, and oily fish, rabbit, turkey, and oily fish, that these meats have a high glutamate amino acid content. So if you do have a dog that is seizuring, uh, they say the best choice for meat is going to be lamb. Hmm. So um, that that's very, that's very interesting. Obviously you want to do um, fresh foods that contain, you know, uh, vitamin C, which is something that the dogs actually do uh, make themselves. But you know where you get vitamin C for fresh kale, peppers, cauliflower, berries, uh, those type of things. Herbs, you're big on herbs. You would do herbs like, uh, Mm -hmm. would you do milk thistle and things like that to support the liver and support some other uh, functions in the body for a seizure dog? Well, I do, I do always recommend that dogs with seizures get blood work done because there can be, if the liver isn't working properly and the body isn't detoxifying properly, then that can also contribute to the seizure. So um, I would definitely do liver support if that were in, you know, doing some detox is is never going to hurt because we do live in a, in a very toxic world. So I would um, check, check those things. Um, 
but I, you know, I think I would be careful to overly limit the diet too. Right. And, and not give them a proper, you know, nutrition. Like you'll read these things. Well, they, um, like one ingredient gets picked on. So we're going to eliminate every food with that ingredient. Then all of a sudden you're back to feeding this really restricted diet and you're depriving them of that good general nutrition. So I think you have to be really careful uh, not to be doing that. But another thing, I'm going to go back to the fat because I think fat has a lot of health benefits and has huge benefits in the brain because brain cells are mostly fat. And so if we have adequate fat and, and fish, you know, they um, talk about omega-3s, people with brain injuries, they talk about just high, high levels of, of omega-3s. Now there can be some limitations to things like, you know, fish oils, because they can go rancid. You have to be careful about that. But, you know, I, I would not hesitate from recommending feeding fish as a rotation. You know, again, it's like, it's not like, oh, fish is good. I saw I'm going to feed my dog is fish. You know, we don't want to do that. I think we still need that rotation. I think the important thing, like when you hear, oh, a certain ingredient may not be good, well, we don't feed, you know, just those foods, but it doesn't mean you can't rotate them in so that we get that more well-rounded nutrition. Well, what I don't understand is you worry about giving fish or certain things to your dog, but you have no problem putting the phenobarbital, uh, all those other things into your dog that, that do help, right? But they also have major side effects to them. And um, so, yeah, we, we've just got to really kind of branch out our thinking, but I, I find it so curious and so weird and so strange and so criminal that um, if you have a dog that is seizing, that you continue to put them through the vaccine schedule, one. And mm -hmm. two, you don't change the daggum diet. You just mm -hmm. go in and say, hey, let's do this surgery. We're going to, you know, try to get the cancer out of the brain or whatever, the tumor out of the brain or whatever it is. And then, sorry. And then, um, and then um, you don't change the food. You just give them okay. the... Uh, that makes no sense to me. Makes no sense. I, and I hear this all the time in the, a lot of the cancer patients I work with, they're told by the oncologist, oh, the diet doesn't matter. Just, you know, feed whatever, get as many calories into them as you can. So they don't lose weight when they get diarrhea because of the chemo, you know, how about if we don't do the chemo and we change your diet, but that's the kind of conventional perspective is no diet, diet doesn't matter. Let's just do the drugs. Yep. And, and keep vaccinating because, you know, we, because that's what, that's what, that's what we're supposed to do. That's the narrative. Right. Well, pet parents, uh, thank you for listening to this podcast on a daily basis, because I think you are really affecting other pet parents' life when you have a testimony, right? There's so many testimonies out there uh, of what a raw diet of getting off the medications uh, does. I mean, Dr. Jason, we've had lots of emails where people have said just by listening to the podcast, even if they never consult with you or buy from me, they are changing their dog's lives mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. So that is something that's amazing. Remember, you guys, if you do not have a raw feeding vet, you're not going to get the same perspective as you are going to get from someone like Dr. Judy Jasek. It's just not going to happen. They don't have those tools in their toolbox. So you're going to really be conflicted, I see, all the time if you're working with a conventional vet on nutrition 
or you've been told that your dog can't eat a raw diet because they have this disease or that disease or this gut problem or that gut problem. Uh, Dr. Jasek is an expert in this area, and I would highly encourage you to get over to ahavet.com, ahavet.com, where you can sign up and do a Zoom. She can review everything, give you a second opinion, which is, in my opinion, the first step towards a healthy dog. Uh, get your dog on a species-appropriate diet. That's over here, Raw Dog Food and Company, right there, rawdogfoodandcompany.com, where your pet's health is our business and we're friends. Don't let friends feed kibble. All right, Dr. Jacek, have fun hey. in Tennessee with those chicks, and we uh, we'll see you next week. All right, sounds good. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Oh, snap, snap. Find out how you can start your dog on the road to health and longevity. Go to rawdogfoodandcompany.com, where friends don't let friends feed kibble and where your pet's health is our business. Just snap.